everyone, you're listening to God's Whole Story, a podcast of Worship Center. We know just how hard it is to read God's Word and understand it, so we decided to read the Bible chronologically this year and talk about it together. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey guys, welcome to God's Whole Story. I'm here today with Ryan, Mandy, and Daniel Seitz. Daniel Elijah Seitz, again. That's what my <laughs> Facebook says. <laughs> oh, mine says Chelsea Lee's Mosier. Maybe I should start introducing myself that way. Wait, Chelsea what Mosier? Lee. Oh, yeah, I knew that. I thought you said some other word. Oh. <laughs> it sounded like you said Lee. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's so too. It's Are you okay? like that. L-E-I-G-H. Oh, maybe you <laughs> did that sound with the G-H. Chelsea Lee Mosier. It's German. Um, so today we're reading in Isaiah, we're reading in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles again, and also Micah. What stuck out to you guys? Oh shoot, I thought you were going to start. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like what, what stuck out to me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, um, another theme that I noticed is that Jotham did what was pleasing in the, sight, in the Lord's sight, right at the beginning of the 2 Kings passage that we read, um, but he did not destroy the pagan shrines. Those kings not destroying the pagan shrines. Like, they're doing things right, but they're not doing it all the way. It's a lot to break down the whole system. It's like, it's tough. Take a lot of people off. Yeah, it would. That's true. <laughs> what about you guys? Um, I immediately noticed uh, Ahaz, the son of, right? Is that his name? Ahaz? Ahaz? How do you say it? The son of Jotham. He, Jotham did what was pleasing in God's sight, but then his son was another bad king. So, like, maybe it's not just all parenting. That scared me. <laughs> Wait, doesn't that set you free? Doesn't that make you feel better that, like, it doesn't rest on your shoulders? Oh, that is good. Yes. But it also is like Nora and Mia could destroy the whole land, even if I obey God and love him for my whole life. First of all, that can't even be possible with your daughters. And second of all, <laughs> they're precious. Thank you. Yeah. But second of all... You're not wrong. <laughs> Meaning, like, I think it's easy to take credit when our kids turn out great. And we're like, yo, I worked really hard to do that. I was really consistent with my timeouts and my, like, logical consequences and all my love. But if, I was logical with my love. <laughs> you know what I think? There's no place for logic. Um, but when we when our kids make choices that we wouldn't make, we don't know how to, like, reconcile that, right? Because we think there's a formula. And the more I get into this, I'm like, I think it matters how we show up. Our kids need a guide. They need us there. That's why we're here. God is asking us to steward them very well. But he's asking us to do just that, steward them, yeah. not control them, yeah. not, you know what I mean? We're not ultimately responsible, actually, for our children. God is. Yeah, because, I mean, they make their own choices, and we have to trust the Holy Spirit to kind of continue the work that we're doing. In yeah. their hearts. We can't work in their hearts to play spirit again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and the, the other big thing, talking about kids, obedience. It's just, it's all, God is pleased with obedience. Mm-hmm. And then if you're disobedient, it's detrimental. And it's more detrimental. Like, I even think about now, in our time, not just back then. Like, our disobedience is way more detrimental and harmful than what we will probably ever know. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I think the other thing that stuck out to me is this famous passage that is always talked about with the Messiah of there's going to be a son born of a virgin. He's going to be called Emmanuel, God with us, um, which is an awesome ultimate point to Jesus. But I think what a lot of people don't realize is that it also happens like in the next chapter. Like Isaiah, I think Mary is a virgin and she has a son and he names him 
Um, oh, it's a really long name. I did not Mars know this. <laughs> Tell us more, Chelsea. Well, we'll find out people. tomorrow on June 24th. Um, oh, man. <laughs> I think that's when it happens. But it is, like, interesting. We, we talked a couple days ago about prophecy, um, and Ryan talked about how there's foretelling and forthtelling, and that a lot of these prophecies that um, we're going to read in these books of the prophets, a lot of it happened right then and, like, in their history in that time, and it was also pointing ahead to something else. So it is interesting to kind of, again, get the context of it. Um, yeah, it's like it was helpful for the people right then. I was listening to um, – this is a little bit off topic. I was listening to a sermon, though, um, which – it was about Revelation. And uh, the pastor giving the sermon was talking about how Revelation was written to the churches in Asia Minor and how it was written for them and to them and how cruel would it have been for God to give them hope 3,000 years from now. So you can't read Revelation and think about, oh, this is all talking about America. You have to read Re- Revelation in the context that it was supposed to be written in. Does that make sense? Yeah. So like these prophecies that Isaiah is giving to the people, they're thinking like it's happening now, but it's also going to happen later. So Mm -hmm. he's offering hope. He's also offering, um, yeah, what's happening in the present time. That's all I got. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) This is just in the category of things that were interesting to me. There's a passage that seems like it offers hope because he says, don't worry guys, through all of this, there's always going to be enough milk and honey. And then he's like, because there's not going to be that many people left. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't catch that when I was reading. I, I was like, I was like oh, wow. God's going to provide. And then he's like, yeah, because there's not actually going to be that many. Yo, who's Don't worry, you get this? your yogurt. Uh, it's, it's right after the Messiah passage, actually. Yeah, Isaiah is talking about Isaiah yeah. saying it? Yeah. Do you think he was a stand-up comedian? Because that's, like, very funny yeah. to spin it at the end. It says, nevertheless, there'll be enough milk for everyone because so few people will be left. <laughs> yeah. I actually, I actually was like, oh, that there's a bright spot here. a silver lining. <laughs> Yeah. The other thing that stood out to me in this passage, um, I don't know exactly what it means, but the prophet of the Lord named Oded, we don't know much about him, (laughs) but he is obedient and goes out to meet, I think it's the, yeah, the Israelites, the Israelite army who defeats Judah, which we talked about before that Judah is God's line. So I think it's interesting as you're reading it to think that God was protecting Judah, but Israel defeats them. Yeah, God's not necessarily protecting Judah. He's just gracious to Judah. Mm. So Judah, like, falls slower. They are ultimately still, Judah's temple still destroyed. Um, and I, I believe in this passage, it was either today or yesterday, God actually refers to them as you sons of David. Hmm. Um, so they have, like, special standing in that God always honors his covenants. Hmm. Um, but they're not necessarily, like, those covenants are binding based on obedience, actually. So as we see these narratives of obedience and disobedience, it's actually related to the covenants that God made originally. God was like, hey, I will do this if you will do this. Mm -hmm. And so as they continue to break their contract, God's like, oh, you guys aren't doing it. I'm actually not going to bless you like I've been blessing you. Mm -hmm. Um, And something we've talked about before, like God isn't necessarily like destroying them. He's actually just removing his protection from them. So they end up being just people of that world, which is wildly violent. Mm. And it follows that Ahaz, a king in Judah, like out of the norm for the other kings, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, One of the things that Ahaz does, actually highlighted it as we were reading it, he pays another army 
by selling the silver and gold out of the temple. Yeah, which is probably a big. That's a no. big no no. <laughs> yeah, that's part of that's part of that whole Solomon thing. Is that one of the ways that we know Solomon is blessed and favored by God is because God gave him a ton of riches, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of riches that were supposed to remain in the temple, and so that is stuff that is set apart for God. That he's like, okay, I need some army help. I'm gonna sell all this God stuff and just bring in some more troops, please. Hmm. Um. If you want to bring it into today, right? We still we still believe in giving first fruits. Um, like we we believe on a good day, <laughs> hopefully every day. Everything we have, we have because God gave it to us. So those riches that are in the temple, they have because God allowed them to have it. Mm-hmm. And so we want to give back to God what He's already given to us. And so what we don't want to do is use what God has given to us for His purposes to establish our own purposes. So it's like, hey, I'm I'm behind on whatever, or I would really love this new whatever. I'm actually not going to give this money away because I actually want this for myself. That's basically what King Ahaz is doing mm-hmm. um, in a much older context, but it's it's not really all that different. Um, and it's, it, it's very bad. God does not like this. <laughs> well, our wise friend, uh, Pastor Chris Lotzbaugh, he said to me once when I was like talking about my kids or something, he said, you know, like we should be surprised when our kids choose something other than sin as a response because sin is our default setting. And I was like, wow, that really like that actually like sets my expectations mm-hmm. right when it comes to that stuff. But I was thinking how our default setting is always going to be that. And so one thing about tithing and giving and making it regular for me is like this act of defiance against that. Like, yes, it's an act of obedience, but it's also for me a way to keep me like, I am not going to dabble in, uh, I'll just like use this money and I'll do, you know, I don't even want to go there. And so I feel like that practice for me helps me to like, keep the main thing, the main thing to remember and keep a posture Everything I have is from God. Don't get it twisted, Mandy. Don't start thinking you have this because you were super obedient or because you were this, that I earned any bit of it. Mm -hmm. It starts with money for me, but it translates into every part of my life. It translates into the grace I receive so that I can give that grace, the forgiveness I receive. So Lord, help me extend that forgiveness. You know, when I remember everything I have was given to me freely, how am I going to be stingy and white knuckle everything Mm -hmm. if I actually remember it? But I will forget, as we see in the Bible with everyone, how fast they forget. Everybody. You were saying, Daniel, like, hey, this guy's dad, like, raised him right. And then he went and lost his marbles. Because how fast we forget. We could be totally raised right. We could be on the straight and narrow or whatever. And how fast we forget if we don't put disciplines in our life to keep us, mm-hmm. you know, constantly turning our eyes back to Jesus, returning to Jesus. You know how many times it says in the Bible, return, return, return to God, return to God, return to God. I don't know how many times I never counted, but I always land on those verses. Do you think the Lord's trying to tell me something? Yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> so I just think like, we think maybe it's a sign of weakness. If we have to keep reminding ourselves, return to God, return to God, return to God, tithe, do this thing, have this discipline. And we want to be like, nah, shouldn't it be just more organic? Shouldn't just like flow? No, it's not going to, because your default setting is not great. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anyway, I just got a, I bought a patio. Well, no, I like, Got a patio made. Okay, I'm like, how do you buy a patio? <laughs> I want one of those. I'll take one patio, please. Sam's Club. It's in the back. And, you know, you just convicted me because, well, the Holy Spirit did, but he used you. Because I keep looking, I just keep holding off tithe right now. <laughs> but I'm not going to. I'm going to tithe right when I get Right. 
Right when I get back to my office. Out of this, yes. <laughs> well, you know what? that patio is the Lord's, Mandy. <laughs> Yoda's right. And also, that is actually in a very practical way. That's why I tithe. Um, I text to tithe because I actually have it set up as a reminder, my phone on payday at 8 a.m. Mm. So it's the very, like, so I get it. And it's the very first thing I do when that, when I get paid because I'll be buying patios all day long, Daniel. <laughs> and just kidding. I'll just go to amazon.com um, and spend my money there. And I don't want to do that because, because the reality is I want to do that. Yeah. But I don't want to want to do that, mm-hmm. you know? And so I, for me, setting it up that way is a way that I'm still a part of it. It's still me intentionally giving. And it's me acknowledging that if I don't do this first, it's very easy for me to forget. So you're not alone in your patio purchasing and forgetting. You could also set up text to, text to tithe. Yeah. The, the other thing not to forget about Ahaz. Ahaz is like, he's selling the stuff off. It's not good. It's, it's, it's keeping what, like, the option that is always available to all of these guys is to turn to God yeah. for provision. Yes. So Ahaz doesn't have to go hire armies. He could say, God, help us. We, said that, we saw it with Hezekiah, right? Yes. He prayed. Yes. And God came through. Yes. Any one of these guys mm. could literally humble themselves and ask God for provision, and it would come. The theme is that they don't. And so they pursue all these other things that to them seem very, like, like easier. <laughs> How does this seem easier? Yeah, but we're still doing it today. Yeah, exactly. We're exhausted yes. because everything seems easier than praying. And so the thing that remains for us is don't forget, we could actually just pursue God and ask for God's provision. And he will give us, give it to us because he's gracious. He's compassionate. He loves us. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to see us suffer. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. And that's what we believe. So that's... That's encouraging. Like, yeah. that's a good thing. There's always an invitation to return to yes. God. Always. Yes. It's never too late and you're never too far gone and you don't own too many patios. Second <laughs> <laughs> <love that>. <laughs> Kings 15, starting in verse 32. Jotham, son of Uzziah, began to rule over Judah in the second year of King Pekah's reign in Israel. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. His mother was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. Jotham did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. He did everything his father Uzziah had done, but he did not destroy the pagan shrines, and the people still offered sacrifices and burned incense there. He rebuilt the upper gate of the temple of the Lord. The rest of the events in Jotham's reign and everything he did are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Judah. In those days, the Lord began to send King Rezin of Aram and King Pekah of Israel to attack Judah. When Jotham died, he was buried with his ancestors in the city of David, and his son Ahaz became the next king. Second Chronicles 27, starting in verse 1. Jotham was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. His mother was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. Jotham did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. He did everything his father Uzziah had done, except that Jotham did not sin by entering the temple of the Lord. But the people continued in their corrupt ways. Jotham rebuilt the upper gate of the temple of the Lord. He also did extensive rebuilding on the wall at the hill of Ophel. He built towns in the hill country of Judah and constructed fortresses and towers in the wooded areas. Jotham went to war against the Ammonites and conquered them. Over the next three years, he received from them an annual tribute of 7,500 pounds of silver, 50,000 bushels of wheat, and 50,000 bushels of barley. King Jotham became powerful because he was careful to live in obedience to the Lord his God. The rest of the events of Jotham's reign, including all his wars and other activities, are recorded in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. He was 25 
25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. When Jotham died, he was buried in the city of David, and his son Ahaz became the next king. Micah chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The Lord gave this message to Micah of Moresheth during the years when Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were kings of Judah. The visions he saw concerned both Samaria and Jerusalem. Attention, let all the people of the world listen. Let the earth and everything in it hear. The sovereign Lord is making accusations against you. The Lord speaks from his holy temple. Look, the Lord is coming. He leaves his throne in heaven and tramples the heights of the earth. The mountains melt beneath his feet and flow into the valleys like wax in a fire, like water pouring down a hill. And why is this happening? Because of the rebellion of Israel. Yes, the sins of the whole nation. Who is to blame for Israel's rebellion? Samaria, its capital city. Where is the center of idolatry in Judah? In Jerusalem, its capital. So I, the Lord, will make the city of Samaria a heap of ruins. Her streets will be plowed up for planting vineyards. I will roll the stones of her walls into the valley below, exposing her foundations. All her carved images will be smashed. All her sacred treasures will be burned. These things were were bought with the money earned by her prostitution. And they will now be carried away to pay prostitutes elsewhere. Therefore, I will mourn and lament. I will walk around barefoot and naked. I will howl like a jackal and moan like an owl. For my people's wound is too deep to heal. It has reached into Judah, even to the gates of Jerusalem. Don't tell our enemies in Gath. Don't weep at all. You people in Beth Lephra, roll in dust to show your despair. You people in Shafir, go as captives into exile, naked and ashamed. The people of Zanon, dare not come outside their walls. The people of Bethazel mourn, for their house has no support. The people of Merith anxiously wait for relief, but only bitterness awaits them as the Lord's judgment reaches even to the gates of Jerusalem. Harness your chariot horses and flee, you people of Lachish. You were the first city in Judah to follow Israel in her rebellion, and you led Jerusalem into sin. Send farewell gifts to Moresheth Gath. There is no hope of saving it. The town of Akzib has deceived the kings of Israel. O people of Merashah, I will bring a conqueror to capture your town, and the leaders of Israel will go to Adullam. O people of Judah, shave your heads in sorrow, for the children you love will be snatched away. Make yourselves as bald as a vulture, for your little ones will be exiled to distant lands. Second Kings 16, beginning in verse 1. Ahaz, son of Jotham, began to rule over Judah in the seventeenth year of King Pekah's reign in Israel. Ahaz was twenty years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem sixteen years. He did not do what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord his God, as his ancestor David had done. Instead, he followed the example of the kings of Israel, even sacrificing his own son in the fire. In this way, he followed the detestable practices of the pagan nations the Lord had driven from the land ahead of the Israelites. He offered sacrifices and burned incense at the pagan shrines and on the hills and under every green tree. Then King Rezin of Aram and King Pekah of Israel came up to attack Jerusalem. They besieged Ahaz but could not conquer him. At that time, the king of Edom recovered the town of Elath for Edom. He drove out the people of Judah and sent the Edomites to live there as they do to this day. King Ahaz sent messengers to King Tiglath of Pileser of Assyria with the message, I am your servant and your vassal. Come up and rescue me from the attacking armies of Aram and Israel. Then Ahaz took the silver and gold from the temple of the Lord in the palace treasury and sent it as a payment to the Assyrian king. So the king of Assyria attacked the Aramean capital of Damascus and led its population away as captives, resettling them in Kerr. He also killed King Rezin. Second Chronicles 28, beginning in verse 1. 
Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. He did not do what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord, as his ancestor David had done. Instead, he followed the example of the kings of Israel. He cast metal images for the worship of Baal. He offered sacrifices in the valley of Ben-Hinnon, even sacrificing his own sons in the fire. In this way, he followed the detestable practices of the pagan nations the Lord had driven from the land ahead of the Israelites. He offered sacrifices and burned incense at the pagan shrines and on the hills and under every green tree. Because of all of this, the Lord his God allowed the king of Aram to defeat Ahaz and to exile large numbers of his people to Damascus. The armies of the king of Israel also defeated Ahaz and inflicted many casualties on his army. In a single day, Pekah, son of Ramaliah, Israel's king, killed 120,000 of Judah's troops, all of them experienced warriors, because they had abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors. Then Zikri, a warrior from Ephraim, killed Messiah, the king's son, Azakrim, the king's palace commander. Then Elkanah, the king's second-in-command. The armies of Israel captured 200,000 women and children from Judah and seized tremendous amounts of plunder, which they took back to Samaria. But a prophet of the Lord named Oded was there in Samaria when the army of Israel returned home. He went out to meet them and said, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, was angry with Judah and let you defeat them. But you have gone too far, killing them without mercy, and all heaven is disturbed." And now you are planning to make slaves of these people from Judah and Jerusalem. What about your own sins against the Lord your God? Listen to me and return these prisoners you have taken, for they are your own relatives. Watch out, because now the Lord's fierce anger has been turned against you. Then some of the leaders of Israel, Azariah, son of Jehonan, Bechariah, son of Meshalamoth, and Jezekiah, son of Shalom, and Amasa, son of Hadlai, agreed with this and have confronted the men returning from battle. You must not bring the prisoners here, they declared. We cannot afford to add to our sins and guilt. Our guilt is already great, and the Lord's fierce anger is already turned against Israel. So the warriors released the prisoners and handed over the plunder in the sight of the leaders and all the people. Then the four men just mentioned by the name came forward and distributed clothes from the plunder to the prisoners who were naked. They provided clothing and sandals to wear and gave them enough food and drink and dressed their wounds with olive oil. They put those who were weak on donkeys and took all the prisoners back to their own people in Jericho, the city of Palms. Then they returned to Samaria. Isaiah 7, beginning in verse 1. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, and grandson of Uzziah, was king of Judah, king Razan of Syria, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, set out to attack Jerusalem. However, they were unable to carry out their plan. The news had come to the royal court of Judah. Syria is allied with Israel against us. So the hearts of the king and his people trembled with fear like trees shaking in a storm. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Take your son, Shear Jashub, and go out to meet King Ahaz. You will find him at the end of the aqueduct that feeds water into the upper pool near the road leading to the field where cloth is washed. Tell him to stop worrying. Tell him he doesn't need to fear the fierce anger of those two burned-out embers, King Razan of Syria and Pekah son of Remaliah. Yes, the kings of Syria and Israel are plotting against him, saying, We will attack Judah and capture it for ourselves. Then we will install the son of Tabil as Judah's king. But this is what the sovereign Lord says. This invasion will never happen. It will never take place. For Syria is no stronger than its capital, Damascus. And Damascus is no stronger than its king, Razan. As for Israel, within 65 years, it will be crushed and completely destroyed. Israel is no stronger than its capital, Samaria. Samaria. And Samaria is no stronger than its king, Pekah, son of Ramaliah. Unless your faith is firm, I cannot make you stand firm. Later, the Lord sent this message to King Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign of confirmation, Ahaz. Make it as difficult as you want, as high as heavens or as deep as the place of the dead. But the king refused. No, he said, I will not test the Lord like that. 
Then Isaiah said, Listen, well, you royal family of David, isn't it enough to exhaust human patience? Must you exhaust the patience of my God as well? All right, then the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. By the time this child is old enough to choose what is right and reject what is wrong, he will be eating yogurt and honey. For before the child is that old, the lands of the two kings you fear so much will both be deserted. Then the Lord will bring things on you, your nation and your family, unlike anything since Israel broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria upon you. In that day, the Lord will whistle for the army of southern Egypt and for the army of Assyria. They will swarm around you like flies and bees. They will come in vast hordes and settle in the fertile areas and also in the desolate valleys, caves, and thorny places. In that day, the Lord will hire a razor from beyond the Euphrates River, the king of Assyria, and use it to shave off everything your land, your crops, and your people. In that day, a farmer will be fortunate to have a cow and two sheep or goats left. Nevertheless, there will be enough milk for everyone because so few people will be left in the land. They will eat their fill of yogurt and honey. In that day, the lush vineyards, now worth 1,000 pieces of silver, will become patches of briars and thorns. The entire land will become a vast expanse of briars and thorns, a hunting ground overrun by wildlife. No one will go to the fertile hillside where the gardens once grew. For briars and thorns will cover them. Cattle, sheep, and goats will graze there. Hey guys, this is Ryan, and I hope you are getting a lot out of God's whole story. Uh, It means a lot to us even as we are reading through God's Word every single day in the order that it happened. Um, If you want to go ahead and follow us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at God's Whole Story Podcast. Uh, We would love it if you would share this thing with your friends or people that you know, or just share what's sticking out to you. Uh, You can either send us a DM, or you could actually email us at podcast at worshipcenter.org. You can email us if you have any questions, if something stuck out to you, if you'd like us to pray for you. And if you want a Bible, if you don't have one right now, or if you want a copy of the one that we're using to go through God's whole story, we'd be happy to send that to you. So go ahead and reach out to us in any way that you'd like. We'd love to hear from you. Have a great day.